your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills spins away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight the sideline, steps out of bounds, inside the 30-yard line. Dedrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Tim Curran and Josh Hilkeman. Happy Friday, folks. Tim Kern and Josh Hilkeman here for you on a beautiful, beautiful Friday evening across the state. That's right, Greg and Ben are both out. Josh and I have committed a hostile takeover of Sports Nightly. Uh, they will be back, though, next week. But right now, uh, Josh and I, like a bull in a china shop, have been let loose <laughs> to get to steer things. And Josh, I'm not really sure. I'm ready to, to hand the keys over. I think, uh, I think I've been enjoying filling in. Yeah, exactly. Ben's been gone for two weeks, taking his paternity leave, and... You know, I feel like between you, me, Austin, I, I think that we've kind of established ourselves and I think that we have some uh, something good going here. And, you know, sports have come back since that happened. You know, MLB started back up, NBA, NHL tomorrow. So I don't know what else the folks could want. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> it's it's good to be on. And we'll, we'll see what happens on Monday. We'll see if Greg and Ben actually do make it back on the air. Uh, that, that's right. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, well, there's a bunch of news to get into today. And the first thing, Josh, I wanted to dive into was the the letter that uh, Big Ten Commish Kevin Warren has sent out to each of the Big Ten schools' ADs. And essentially what this letter says, well, it doesn't really say a lot, but essentially what it says is that whether or not fall camp can begin, which was actually set to begin on August, I believe it was the 7th, will be determined by testing protocols. And the letter speech, as it appeared in the World Herald, uh, reads thusly, quote, if we determine as a conference that it is not prudent to compete in the fall of 2020, we will not do so, much like our decision in March 2020 to cancel the men's basketball tournament in Indianapolis. Our final decision will be rooted in guidance from medical experts and in consultation with institutional leadership, student-athletes, coaches, and appropriate federal, state, and local authorities. So, with this letter, it, it does sound somewhat ominous, and I and I did get a freaked out text uh, from someone saying, "Oh, does this mean Big Ten's you know pulling the plug? What's going on?" And really, folks, I think what this letter is the Big Ten just being extremely cautious. It, it's it's you've seen a lot of conferences already come out and they release a schedule and say subject to change, but this is how we're planning to do things. Well, the Big Ten's taken an opposite tact because they're the only major conference that still has not come out and said, here's the plan. They're instead saying, we're going to wait to see what the testing protocols are, and then we'll wait and see after that. And so to me, it just reads as the Big Ten being extra cautious. And it's also one thing to say, there's a possibility of there not being a college football season versus saying there's a probability of no college football season. I, I I don't think this is the Big Ten coming out and saying there's going to be no college football. This is them just saying, look how cautious we're being. And Josh, I don't know right. what you made of this letter. No, I I think you're on the right track there, Tim. It, you know, and the Big Ten was the first conference, first major conference that came out and said that they were going to do a conference only schedule for all their sports, including football this fall. And they said that that was the plan. And I think now what they're coming out with, it's interesting to me that they haven't put together some and i'm sure they have some kind of a schedule put together just not out publicly yet but it, it's interesting to me that they haven't released at least 
you know, these teams are playing these teams and we don't know exactly what the times and maybe even the dates are going to be, but at least we know what the matchups are you know, going to plan to be. But I, it's interesting that they haven't done that, but you're right about what, them saying this. I think that they're just covering themselves and making sure that um, it, it appears that they're being doing every, you know, taking every single precaution. And I, it is an interesting tactic to wait and not put out anything, but at least they did say, you know, they, they like I said, they were at the forefront of saying they were going to do conference only, no non-conference games at all this fall. And that was at least one thing. But since then, which was, I, I'm even trying to struggle to come up with a date two, three weeks ago. Now that they said that they really haven't done much of anything except for string us along a little bit and be like, <laughs> well, it'll come out at some point. And in this letter, it, it seems like it might be early next week, but, and then the, there was a term in there or a phrase in there that was like at some point in August, which Obviously, August hasn't even started yet. August 1st is tomorrow, and so it could be any time in the next month that we get an actual schedule from the Big Ten. Right, and to be clear, I'm not criticizing the move, more of the method. So, for instance, when the Big Ten came out and said, we're canceling all non-conference games, I actually thought that that's probably a move that, that makes some sense, maybe not 110% sense, but makes enough sense. Uh, but the way in which they did it, they kind of spearheaded the charge, and they ended up kind of being on the right side of history because other conferences followed suit. But again, if you're not doing these things in coordination and conjunction with the other conferences, you don't want to be seen as kind of this loose cannon, like you're just making decisions willy-nilly on your own, like you're acting, yeah, just as a lone agent. So I think that canceling the non-cons was probably the right call to make. It's just that you don't want to do that just kind of on a whim. You don't want to just make that decision by yourself. And the same thing with the scheduling. If all the other conferences are coming out relatively around the same time period, coming out coming up with a schedule saying, hey, this is the plan for now. It might change later because this is all fluid, as, as we all know and everyone understands. I think that the Big Ten should follow suit. But the Big Ten right. is and then saying, oh, well, hold on to other conferences. While you recklessly release a schedule, we are going to wait until things are safe. And it, it just right. it just comes across as posturing. And so that that's just a little wow. bit of disappointment. Again, I, I think the Big Ten, they're taking the right steps. I, I, I want to see testing. You, you want to see proper testing protocols and i think that's a that's a smart thing a good thing but it's just the method seems as if they are posturing as if to show hey look how safe we're being well and you you made a good point there tim this is i think everybody would be perfectly they would understand perfectly if you came out with a schedule and said this isn't you know this isn't official i mean and you can say it's official but this is subject to change and i think people would understand that that it's not the you know, set in stone schedule because we're, as everybody's said and gotten tired of hearing, we're in uncertain times and things are changing day to day. So I think that people would, you know, be just fine with coming out with, with something and having it be um, subject to change. I, and I, you know, I think that administrators are just so set in wanting to make sure every single uh, T is crossed and I is dotted and instead of just putting something out there. So like, I, I get it. I understand why they want to be cautious and make sure that everybody knows that they're being cautious. But at the same time, I just want to see a schedule and know that you're actually working on something. And if you have to say, well, this is just a working schedule. This is what we have right now. It might change before the season starts. 
that's fine. <laughs> We're fine with that. Like that's what, that's what we've grown to know. And we know that we're dealing with that with all sports really. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the same track as you that it doesn't come off, you know, very well to me with what the big 10 came out with today. Right. And speaking of the big 10, the Cleveland plane dealer, they released their media big 10 poll. This is an official poll. Most other conferences every year release an official conference preseason rankings, but the big 10 is a little bit different, uh, which we were just talking about. They do things a little bit differently. Um, and so the Cleveland plane dealer, uh, I, unfortunately, Josh, I did not get the call to participate as a member of the esteemed media. I don't know if you were also left out, but we're going to have to. <laughs> Yeah, it, we're, we're, it was a little shot to the ego. But anyway, the, the Huskers came up as the fourth place team in the West. And I, I think that's probably about right. I would actually argue that the Huskers, you could make a case that they, they're, they're good enough for third place in the West because right now Iowa is in that third spot, according to the Cleveland Plain dealer. And I think the thing with Iowa, I mean, they're obviously – talented but they lost quite a bit nebraska also lost a little bit but they're returning pretty much the core of their roster and also let's be frank i mean iowa has had a lot of off-season turmoil to to put it mildly to deal with i think that creates a huge distraction for for coach ferns and his staff and i think that is probably gives nebraska just enough to kind of slip in at third but for the most part i think that third that fourth kind of spot there in the west is about right and i know some fans might be disappointed it's not higher but wisconsin and minnesota are going to be really really good this year it's tough to say nebraska can supplant them given just what we've seen recently but i, I do think that right there in that third spot that fourth spot that's about right what are your feelings on that josh yeah, I'm with you on that, and obviously this has no bearing on what's going to happen this season, but as we do on in Sports Talk Radio, we talk about sports and make polls and do things like that, so it, we want to talk about it, and I, I think that it's kind of been a common theme in our position breakdowns, and specifically when we rank the position groups in the Big Ten West, one of the things that we've been saying about Nebraska and a lot of their position groups is they have to prove it. We think that they have a lot of talent and we think that they're going to be good. But like even like last night in the defensive line, you know, there there are no really returning starters back. You know, Ben Stilley's the only guy that has had really any playing time of note. And so you you have to prove it, even though we think that Ty Robinson and some of those other guys are going to be good. They have to prove it. And I think that's kind of what Nebraska's position here is as a whole. Do I think that they're better than Iowa? Probably, especially you made a really good point. The offseason turmoil, you have no idea what that's going to what that's going to do to that football team and locker room. So I, I would say that if I had to project, I would put Nebraska in third ahead of Iowa. But I mean, I, I totally understand the Huskers haven't had a great season in a while. And so to, for most of the Big Ten riders and pundits, they're probably, I mean, I think that they're probably fine putting them like that. So, you know, you have to prove it. And yeah, Wisconsin, Minnesota, I think are clearly, they they have proven it the past few years. Wisconsin for decades now have proven that they're one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So, um, yeah, I, overall, I think that I'm okay with the Huskers being put at number four. Definitely no one that should be, ahead of them that's behind them, Purdue, Northwestern, Illinois. But you can make an argument that they should be a step ahead of Iowa in, in that poll. Right. And uh, for the folks curious, uh, if you want to check out the rest of that poll, it's over on cleveland.com. Uh, writers have Ohio State winning the Big Ten East and Wisconsin 
winning the Big Ten West. I think I'd go with Minnesota winning the Big Ten West, but Ohio State, uh, that's that's pretty tough to argue with winning the Big Ten East. Well, the last thing uh, we wanted to get to here is uh, the ominous, ominous warning. Rob Manfred is, is sounding the alarm bell uh, to the players' union given the, the, the two positive tests that the Cardinals players my beloved Cardinals, uh, there are two of them tested positive for coronavirus, postponing their series against the Brewers. As of right now, they're supposed to play a doubleheader against them on Sunday. But Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, has evidently warned the head of the Players Union saying, hey, this thing could all come down to a premature end if these players, if, if these organizations don't get a handle on the spread of coronavirus. And it's... I mean, well, we've kind of seen this coming for a few days. It all started with, of course, with the Marlin outbreak, and there's been some small flare-ups. Uh, the Phillies, they had two people in their organization test positive, and you've had to see postponements. And, and at a certain point, it just gets tough from a logistical standpoint because if you have enough postponements and they start building up and up and up, you have such a small window of time to do these makeup games that it just begins tougher and tougher to squeeze everything in. So just from a logistic standpoint, it's a nightmare. And... It is frustrating, though, Josh, I think, because Major League Baseball had a while to get this worked out. And when you see organizations like the NBA, MLS, and the NHL get these bubbles that are pretty much have gone off without a hitch, whereas Major League Baseball is pretty much stumbling through this this really awkward, wacky season, you start to scratch your head and say, you know, what was the plan here and, and how did it all go wrong? Josh, I don't know what you uh, make of the situation. Oh, yeah. My take on it is, is that I'm sick and tired of hearing the commissioner in Major League Baseball go back and forth with the players union and Tony Clark. And because that's what we heard for months and months of the back and the forth and like all the you use the word posturing earlier. I, I think that that's a good word for that. What we're seeing with this right now. And I I'm sick of it. Like, I, I get it. Is Major League Baseball in danger? Sure, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out, and I, I don't. I don't really understand the. If Rob Manfred actually said, "Well, if we, if this, if you guys don't do a better job of managing managing what we're doing, it we might shut down." Like you're the one in charge. Like this is on your shoulders. It's not on. I mean, it is on the players to some extent because they they have to play along and do do their part. But at the same time you probably should have thought about some of that and had better safety nets and protocols in place because you had literally months to figure that out. So I'm, it, it does not sit well with me that, and like, I, you know, I'm probably more on the side of the players than on the side of major league baseball on this, but I'm just tired of hearing the back and forth. And I know that like with the upcoming labor agreement after next season, that that's going to be all we're hearing about. And I'm, I'm already sick of it going into that. But joining us right now on the Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline is Michael Bruns of Husker 24-7. Bruns, hope you're doing well. Uh, how are you enjoying finally, finally having sports back in your life? A lot of baseball. I, I will probably get into the NBA as things get along a little bit. I, uh, You know, I, the, the cardboard fans are still, a little, still getting used to that with, with the baseball, but... Uh, you know, I, I, any any sport is is better than watching like an old football game, which is basically what we had for like what four months. So I'll, I'll take what I can get. Uh, I'm I'm with you there. Well, speaking of of not having sports, uh, there's a report out there from various outlets uh, talking about the letter that's been circulated around Big Ten athletic directors talking about the possibility of there not being a Big Ten 
football season. So I'll ask you to, to peer into your, your crystal ball here for a second, knowing that we're all kind of flying by the seat of our pants. What, what do you think, this season football or, or no football? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're going to make a go at it. I mean, I, I, I think you have to. Um, you know, as much as, you know, everybody's obviously concerned about safety and, you know, making sure that they're you know, doing right on that end of things. Um, you know, there, there, there's pretty serious financial, uh, you know, you know, importance importance financially that this season gets played. So I, I think they're going to try it. I, I know there were some caveats in that letter that uh, you know that they they still may not. But um, you know, most reports out there that you know a spring season really hasn't been discussed all that much by the Big Ten. And I, I just think they're kind of making sure that, you know, everything's kind of in a row before they announce anything. I, I think that's, you know, you, you just had the Pac-12 announce something. Uh, ACC, SEC have said they're, they're in. So, I mean, I would be very surprised if the Big Ten, uh, you know, hit the brakes on everything and said no football. Right. Um, uh, before we hit some recruiting stuff, I wanted to get your quick reaction on uh, the, the Cleveland Plain dealer that just released their – Big Ten rankings from the media, the powers that be over there. I, I was not asked. I, I'm, I'm very insulted, but I'll try to have to lick my wounds here. Um, the, the Big Ten media picked Nebraska to finish fourth in the Big Ten West. Is that about right to you or or, or, or not or no? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably where, where I'd have Nebraska right now. I mean, I think, you know, Minnesota showed that um, you know, that they're a, a rising power uh, in, in the West. And, you know, they have their quarterback back. They've got a lot of players back from last season. Uh, so I think I would put them towards the top. I think Wisconsin is probably uh, the team to beat in the West until, uh, you know, somebody knocks them off. Um, you know, Iowa has a lot back. I know they, they've got a pretty big change coming at quarterback, but, uh, you know, they're, they're consistent enough, I guess, that, that you can kind of count on them. And Nebraska, you know, has to show that, that they can kind of get it done. And, you know, they were picked to win the West last year and really kind of struggled. And uh, there's a lot of question marks around Nebraska right now. I, think, I, I would definitely probably have them. Uh, again, I, I'm like you, I wasn't asked. But I, I think uh, that, that fourth spot's probably a uh, a fair starting point for Nebraska, given uh, what's back and then some of the questions they have. Well, I was asked one time to participate in the uh, Husker 24-7 Super 6. I forever soyed the reputation of that uh, poll, so they I've not been asked to, to participate in any subsequent ones. So uh, switching to, to recruiting stuff, uh, last week the Huskers picked up a commitment from four-star cornerback Nab Joseph, 6'2", 193-pound product out of Miami, Florida. The Huskers saw some attrition in the secondary this offseason. So with the addition of Joseph, how comfortable do you think Travis Fisher is with that unit right now? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting group because, you know, you, you add a talent like Nadab Joseph, a guy that was coveted by, uh, you know, pretty much every SEC team uh, coming out of high school. Also, uh, you know, highly recruited coming out of junior college ranks as well. Uh, and, and just kind of a, a physical freak. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Um, and, and, you know, th there's probably, you know, he's going to have a pretty tough uh, road to, to cracking the starting lineup or, or significant playing time in the secondary. I mean, this is a really veteran group right now uh, for Travis Fisher, but uh, you did have Jaden Francois uh, decide to transfer Henry Gray also uh, out of that recruiting class as well before 
uh, the summer. And, you know, you add somebody like this, somebody that's got three years of eligibility, uh, it's a huge pickup. And, you know, I, I really think the secondary can be a strength for, for this team uh, this season. I think also uh, the one thing that you have back there is you have a lot of versatility. Uh, Travis Fisher recruits that way. Uh, you also have uh, guys that, that during their Nebraska careers have shown they can play multiple spots. DiCaprio Boodle played some safety last year. Ken Taylor Britt could play uh, multiple spots. You have Deontay Williams back off injury, uh, and you know he's the guy that kind of stirs the drink back there. So uh, it, it really is a talented group. And you know the other thing it kind of shows you too, Nebraska's not they, they don't rest with with adding talent, um, even though it's the summer. Um, you know that they, they had that extra scholarship spot to give. Uh, the dad Joseph was the guy that they had really kind of targeted for that spot, and they. They reeled them in. So it's just uh, another talented body to add uh, to that group uh, to, to hopefully uh, you know, help that defense in the future. Looking now at the 2021 class, 24-7 sports has Nebraska 35th in the nation, uh, but just ninth in the Big Ten. Um, kind of given that, how do you think the coaching staff feels right now about the class as it stands, and, and what pieces, if any, uh, do you think that they're missing? Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – it's been a challenging recruiting cycle. I mean, with, with all the, the coronavirus stuff, you haven't had uh, on-campus visits since, uh, you know, the first week in March. Um, you know, February was a total dead period. So Nebraska, you know, they had a junior day in January, and they hosted a couple guys uh, for a practice in March. But other than that, it's been a lot of guys committing uh, without having visited and, and, and really kind of uh, – a challenge for the staff because they, they haven't been able to get out on the road uh, during the evaluation period in the spring. Uh, they didn't have the camp season in, in June that you normally have. Um, but, you know, I, I think they've done a nice job of, of really kind of, you know, hitting some needs. Um, you know, I, I really like the offensive line class they've got uh, with Teddy Prohaska um, out of Elkhorn South. Um, you know, I, I think he's the type of left tackle uh, that, that you can really kind of build around, um, you know, big six foot nine, 300 pound kid. Um, Henry Lutowski out of Iowa at guard. I mean, they, they really, you know, the offensive line room has really been overhauled uh, the last couple of recruiting classes. And I think Nebraska continued uh, to, to do that so far in this class. Um, you know, you had your quarterback already, Henry Harburg, uh out of Carney Catholic. Uh, I think he's a guy that, that, you know, probably underrated for his athleticism uh, and what he kind of brings to that position. Um, you know, when you're kind of looking at you know, what might be needed to add to this class still, uh, you know, they're at 14 commits right now. You're looking at probably, um, I'd say, low 20s with that number creeping up with, with attrition. But uh, tight ends are a really important spot right now. Um, you know, the biggest target out there. As Thomas Fedoni out of Council Bluffs, um, you know I think Nebraska is in a good spot for him, uh, and he, he's a you know the number one tight end in the country, uh, a top 50 recruit, and, and really a guy that uh, can, can make a class look uh, you know pretty darn good. So uh, there's still work to be done, but I think Nebraska has done a pretty nice job of, of hitting their needs um, under you know some pretty difficult circumstances. I know that everybody in college football uh, kind of deals with that. But when you look at the way Nebraska recruits, it's very national. Um, so that, that, that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult if you're not able to get guys to campus.
Wanted to hit you with just one last question here before we let you go, Michael. Um, we just had Tony Tuioti on last night breaking down the defensive line, and we've been doing these position breakdowns um, for a while here on, on Sports Nightly. And so kind of with that in mind, and this is putting you a little bit on the spot, but I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Which position group on the current squad do you think has the most depth and will be Nebraska's strength this season, assuming, of course, we're, we're going to have a season? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the offensive line is probably the group that, you know, I think has the potential to really take a big step forward and could be a strength. Um, you know, it's been a while since, um, you know, Nebraska's had, um, you know, a respectable two deep along, you know, every spot on the offensive line. And I think that they have that this season. They return all their starters from last year. They've got young guys that they feel really good about. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're going to be able to do anything in the Big Ten, you have to be able to run the ball consistently. I think this is a group that should allow them to do that. Um, and, and if they're able to run the ball, that allows you to maybe buy that wide receiver group a little bit of time to kind of, you know, coalesce and, and, and come together and, and produce and uh, also helps out your quarterback too. So I, I think the offensive line is where I would point to first. Secondary uh, is another one that, that I think uh, – kind of rival that group uh you mentioned Tony Tuioti I, I think that 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 group even though they're inexperienced I think they've got some uh intriguing difference makers in Ty Robinson I, I think they really like what they have in Jordan Riley uh and then you have veteran guys like Ben Stelly DeAndre Thomas so I I think Nebraska up front uh on both sides of the ball should be uh much better in, in 2020 so that that's uh that's something I think to really watch well, thanks, Michael, so much for joining us, and uh, appreciate your time, and, and have a good one. Sounds good, Tim. Thanks. Have a good weekend, all right? Tonight, we take a look around the Big Ten Conference, brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with DinoCare, Sinclair's top-tier gasoline. Fields, looks, throws, middle of the field, toward the end zone, touchdown, Olave! 27-yard dodges man. a guy at the one and jumps into the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan! Touchdown! Touchdown, Iowa! Stanley to Amir Smith, March 5, 2015, 10-5, touchdown, Penn State! 72! Pound to the 10, pound to the 5, pound, touchdown, Wisconsin! Tonight. Pitch left, Pacheco juggles it, got the corner, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Isaiah Pacheco punches it in for the score. His second touchdown of the afternoon, and Rutgers extends their lead to double digits. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Here to help break down the Scarlet Knights is James Cratch of NJ.com, who covers Rutgers. James, uh, how are you doing today, sir? Hang in there, Tim. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for asking. Uh, well, let's start here with uh, the coronavirus outbreak that has really forced the Rutgers football team into a two-week quarantine. Sounds like 15 players recently tested positive, linked back to a house party. And assuming there is going to be college football this fall, how do you anticipate this affecting their, their preparation for the season? Well, I mean, I mean, the obvious thing is, obviously, training camp is supposed to be able to open, you know, NCAA, you know, August 7th. That quarantine's not going to end until August 8th. So, and Rutgers obviously has lost the two-week kind of walk-through ramp-up period. So I'm just kind of curious about, you know, once the team is back to, back on the field and everything, you know, what's the you – know, can they open week one? You know, I know the Big Ten has not announced yet if they're going to allow training camps to open on time. We don't know when the Big Ten schedule is going to open. You know, obviously, the ACC and the 
The SEC have pushed things back. The Pac-12 expected to push things back. We don't really know what the Big Ten's going to do. But I think that's the biggest impact is that, you know, this could be kind of a, a learning experience that they have to take this seriously and, you know, they have to follow the protocol strictly that have been laid out. But I think the biggest question football-wise is, you know, when can this team safely start training camp? When are they allowed to start training camp? And when does that mean, you know, three, four weeks out from the start of training camp, when can they actually play a game? If, assuming, of course, we do play games this fall. Rutgers have brought back Greg Schiano, who, of course, joined a really good run as a Scarlet Knights head coach back when they were in the Big East. But now they're in the Big Ten. He's inheriting a program that hasn't won a conference game in, in two years. So how much hope do the Rutgers faithful have in Schiano for him to be able to actually turn this program around? Oh, it's a tremendous amount of hope. Um, you know, the, the, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the passion, the hope around this program has just ratcheted up tenfold since he got back in December. You know, look, it's going to be a hard road. The Big Ten East is a lot better than the Big East was. You know, it's hard when you're playing Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State every year. Uh, and it's a long road back. You know, 21-game Big Ten losing streak, the second longest losing streak in the history of the conference. Uh, you know, but, but then again, Greg was – his early days here at Rutgers, they had a 25-game losing streak in Big East play, and they still ended up, you know, having that moment where they upset number three Louisville at home, you know, pushing almost getting so close to a BCS bowl game. You know, he kind of – he gave Rutgers football its dignity in the modern era. He's also the reason why, although he wasn't the coach at the time, this team was in a position – the school was in a position to get invited to the Big Ten. So there's a lot of confidence that, you know, Greg has done it before. He can do it again. But I think people realize that it's going to take some time, just like it did the first time. Talk with James Cratch of NJ.com. Well, with a new head coach, you also have new coordinators, including their offensive coordinator, Sean Gleason, who he managed to lure away from Oklahoma State. Lure looks like a solid hire, but what do you think we can expect in terms stylistically of the offense uh, for Rutgers this year? Well, they want to go fast. Obviously, Gleason, you know, only – you know, that's Mike Gundy's offense at Oklahoma State. He was just kind of implementing it. But, you know, he was the Princeton offensive coordinator. That's really where he kind of made a name for himself. They're going to run a, a no-huddle, hurry-up attack. Their, their goal is to snap the ball in 15 seconds or less each time. I think you're going to see them, just given the talent they have on the team, uh, where they have depth, where they don't, I think it's going to be kind of a run-focused operation. It would not shock me if Noah Vedrill, Nebraska transfer wins the job over Art Zikowski just because I think his legs might be the difference maker. I think they're going to try to run heavy. Um, this running back is one of the strongest position groups on the roster, and obviously Vedrill's a guy who can move a little bit and has experience in that sort of high-octane offense. But they're, just, they're going to try to go up and down the field as quickly as they can. I just think the big key is going to be, because Rutgers has been a abysmal offense the past few seasons, what is the talent level there for Gleason? I, I think they're going to be a lot better than they have been, but I don't think they're necessarily going to be a, a top half of the Big Ten offense anytime soon. I think there's still going to be some growing pains in that transition period. Looking at the defense, uh, of course, new coordinator there as well, Rob Smith, who was actually on Shiano's old staff at Rutgers the year where they want to share that Big East title and rank fourth nationally uh, in scoring defense. Uh, what do you think we can expect from Smith's defense this season? They're going to be multiple. I um, mean, you know, obviously, I, I think you know Smith is the coordinator, but I think Shiano is a defensive guy. He's he's going to have a big role in that. You know, they have the 
he would never admit it, but the position that they've clearly pinpointed as their biggest area of need was defensive line. They've got, I believe, 33 recruits, transfer, transfers coming into 2020 cycle, and about a third of them are defensive linemen. They, they really, that's been a position that's just been very weak for Rutgers. They have had no pass rush. They've struggled to stop the run. That's an area where Shiano and the staff are really focused on in recruiting. I think they're going to look to be multiple. They're going to look to be physical. But, again, it's just one of those places where they've got a good set of linebackers. They've got a, a bunch of guys at defensive line. They've got to figure out you know, who's going to be productive. They have a solid secondary, but they still might be a year or two away from it kind of all coming together. Well, kind of going off of that, James, um, what would be a reasonable expectation for Rutgers this season? Now, I know that's not an entirely fair question, given as of yet, we don't even know yeah. what the schedule is going to look like. But, but given yeah. that, uh, if you kind of peer into your crystal ball and, and kind of try to read the, the tea leaves to the extent that you can, what do you think Rutgers fans, Big Ten fans, can expect to see from Rutgers this season? You know, it, before everything kind of got thrown into disarray, I looked at the schedule and I thought, you know, there are three non-conference games, Monmouth, Syracuse, Temple, they had a chance to go start 3-0 and and get a lot of excitement around this place. And even if they had lost out the rest of the way, I still think a 3-9 and season or a 4-8 and with one Big Ten win would have been more than enough to kind of keep the good momentum going. You know, they've got a very good 2021 class committed so far. I think it's ranked 30th in the nation. But honestly, and it sounds kind of setting a low bar, I just think winning one Big Ten game this year, assuming there is a season, uh, that's what you should expect. I mean, I think getting that losing streak off the books, whenever it happens, that should be the goal, just to win one game. Because I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to be very difficult for this team to, to win more than one Big Ten game. I just, you know, and, you know, we don't even know what the schedule's going to look like, as you mentioned. I know Nebraska's supposed to come out here. I tend to think that maybe a pandemic isn't the right time for a team from Lincoln, Nebraska, to come to Piscataway, New Jersey. But I think it's it's one Big Ten win. Just get that losing streak, knock it out, and move forward. Kind of given that insurmountable challenge that, that Shiano's facing, I know that the recruiting pitch is a big thing for obviously all college coaches, but Shiano really has – a mountain to climb in that respect, but it sounds like things are trending upwards in that respect uh, for Rutgers. Uh, what do you think Shiano has to do uh, in order to convince a lot of the in-state guys and guys in that area to, 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 to choose Rutgers when you can probably expect a lot of pain for Rutgers football in the coming seasons? Well, I think the biggest pitch to him is that for him is that, we're going to turn this around. I did it before. I'm going to do it again and come be part of something that's even greater than the first revival because you are in the Big Ten. Um, I think that's the pitch, and so far it's working. You know, the, the key for Rutgers has always been, you know, when Greg was at his best, you know, near the end of his time here when they really kind of turned the program around, he wasn't necessarily picking off the, the top five kids in the state or the top ten kids in the state. Those kids have been going to, you know, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan for years, but those kids 11 to 25, he was really bringing all those kids in. That's what he started to do now, but I think the real key if they're ever going to achieve, you know, because Greg in his press conference threw the national championship out there just as he did back in 2000, I think the real key for them is going to be, can they get into that top 10 recruit and crack that? I think you're going to need wins for that, but the vision he's selling seems to be resonating with those second-tier recruits, which is the guys that he needs to build this program back up. Well, James, we really want to thank you for your time, and, and please uh, stay safe during this time. You too. Thank you.
It's time for the Weekend Preview. The part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in, watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Josh Hilkeman. Well, Tim, uh, last week you put together this segment and of the big four professional sports. All you had last week was Major League Baseball at that time. This week I get to add NBA and NHL. So three of the four major North American sports are going, at least at this point with the news, uh, from your Cardinals today and then the Rob Manfred statement. Uh, not sure how much yeah. I'll have MLB on the docket, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it while we can. For now. But Josh, you're also disrespecting uh, Xfinity Series NASCAR. I think I had some UFC on there. There was some ah. European golf. I mean, Josh, I think you're really disrespecting the, the quality <laughs> of the my preview I had last week. I, I, no, you did very well with what you had. I'm just saying, like, North American sports, there's the big four, and, like, you know... I, I'm just saying that you only had one of those on there, and that it's not your fault. You did well with what it's you fair had. enough. All right, fair enough. Well, we do start. We do start with Major League Baseball, though, since we do have it as of right now. Uh, the number of games on the TV for you this weekend as well. And it starts with the Reds and Tigers tomorrow at five o'clock on FS1. Obviously, very early in the season, but a, a few of us, I think, when we did our picks last week, we picked the Reds to win the NL Central, and they're currently not in me. last place. No, you picked the Cardinals. You were all over that. But um, they're currently last place at two and four in the Central. And, of course, Detroit, I think, was most people expected to fight the Royals for last in the AL Central. They're four and three, just a game back at first place in that division entering today. And I know it's early, but with just a 60-game season and maybe even fewer games than that, most likely fewer games than that, it's going to be really important for teams to get off to a good start. You know, expectations, you don't have a lot of wiggle room to make up for that. Right, because that was my point uh, I made earlier in the show is, you know, when you have teams, too, that not only the fact that they have to get off to a hot start just in terms of wins, losses, but also if they have a you know, flare up of coronavirus and then all of a sudden you're looking at postponements and cancellations and then you look at, OK, are they going to be able to make that game up at a later date? And then there are guys who maybe they can track it and then they go down for an extended period of time for at least 14 days until they can reassess. And so there's all of these just variables that are hard to account for. And so how are my Cardinals supposed to win run away with the NL Central? <laughs> When right. they're being, you know, quarantined for effect. So and if all works out, then they'll be back Sunday. They play doubleheader and relatively little is lost. But if it turns out there is this widespread, you know, rampant thing and it just runs through the team and other teams start taking it. So this season is weird for a number of reasons. <laughs> it was already going to be weird anyway. They had the 60 game schedule. And then Austin had the ticker about the seven inning doubleheaders. I mean, what's next? They're going to crack out the aluminum bats and move the fences in. And I, I just yep. don't know. I, I want to enjoy this so much, but just, just look at what the NBA is doing. It's gone off so much better. Yeah, I know. I, I 100% agree. So that'll be uh, interesting to watch. So again, Tigers-Reds tomorrow, 5 o'clock on FS1. Game one of that series going on right now. Detroit's up one nothing in the top of the fifth inning there. So uh, also at 6 o'clock tomorrow on Fox, you'll see the Red Sox and the Yankees. That's also this Sunday night baseball game on 
ESPN. Um, first chance you'll get to see those teams play this season, though, is tonight. And checking the score of that one, Yankees up 2-1 to one on Boston, going to the fourth inning there. Yankees are off to a hot start this season, Tim. I think a lot of people are picking them to make and possibly win the World Series. Do you see a World Series ring in their future this season if we actually get to a World Series? Yeah, with, with the asterisks there. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's either them or the Dodgers. I think I said... I think I said Dodgers last week, so I probably have to stand pat with that. But, you know, the Yankees, I, I picked them pretty heavily to, to run away with the AL East. And, you know, the Rays, they're, they're, they're kind of in the conversation. Obviously, everyone pretty much is at this point. The season's so early. But, you know, the Yankees, it's just a, with this season being a sprint and not a marathon, those star-studded teams, seems like the Yankees who just have enough firepower, all they have to do is just get on people's throats early, and then they're, they just, from there, can just create separation. So, yep. Yankees, I, I could see, yeah, in the series, but I think the Dodgers would be the team to, to actually win it all. Um, again, subject to Rob Manfred not canceling the season, uh, subject right. to the Cardinals and the Marlins not ruining everything for everyone. So uh, there we go. <laughs> well put. Uh, one other game on the TV slate in Major League Baseball this weekend, Braves and Mets at noon on TBS Sunday, and game one of that series going on right now, Braves up 2 nothing top of the fourth um so just before we move on from major league baseball tim we're through one week of the season and like we said it's moving pretty quick what are some one or two you know storylines that have stood out to you from mlb non-coronavirus related Right. Well, besides Joe Kelly whizzing 99 mile an hour fastballs by Maldonado's <laughs> yeah. head, I've been a little bit surprised, Josh. I know it's kind of way too early, but I thought the White Sox would have came out a lot stronger. Now, they had pretty tough competition. They had to play, um, uh, I think, the Indians, and they also had to yep. play I, the Twins, I, I believe, as well. And so yep. I'm a little bit surprised they're they're sitting dead last at two and four. Now, the AL Central is pretty stacked. Uh, the Royals are, are doing just okay right now. They're sitting at three and four. But the White Sox kind of looking a little bit stung is surprising me. Also, the you know the Athletics and the Astros, I, I, I was kind of curious to see how much people would be picking on the Astros in terms of the you know the how many flares we'd see and it's about going as expected so that's not so much a surprise as something that just kind of confirmed what I already thought was going to happen and then the NL East is is interesting to me because the Marlins were actually technically on top before their season kind of got put on pause so uh, again I think the Braves are still going to win the NL East but that's definitely interesting. I'm, I'm not really sure how the Marlins, how their situation is going to affect the rest of the season. Because if they do, if everything does go to plan, they have a lot of kind of makeups to do. And it's going to be yep. weird to see how that plays out. But that's what, there's kind of a few things I've been looking at. Sure. Well, there's MLB. Let's move on to the NBA now. They got their season restarted last night with a couple games. They're pretty much full go right now down in Orlando. A quadruple header on ESPN tomorrow, starting with the Nuggets and Heat at noon. That's followed by the Thunder and Jazz at 2.30. Pelicans, Clippers tip at 5. And then at 7 o'clock, the 7.30, the Lakers will square off with the Raptors. And so four games, all those on ESPN tomorrow. And last night, the two best teams in the Western Conference, the Lakers and Clippers, matched up. The Lakers rallied to win 103-101. Um, the top five teams in the West are in action tomorrow, as I mentioned. Besides the Clippers and Lakers, though, you have the Nuggets, Jazz, and Thunder also taking the court. Any chance that a non-LA team makes the NBA Finals out of the West? Mm. That's tough. You know, you can make a case for the Jazz, but I'm not ready to go there. 
Um, uh, the, the In fact, the Jazz, they almost lost the Pelicans. That was a crazy ending they had the other night when the Pelicans uh, could have hit a game-winning three to end it. But, no, I, I think that for right now it, it's it's Lakers-Clippers, and I'd give the uh, the edge to the Lakers. Unfortunately, I, I'm not a Lakers fan by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, not even close. Um, I've kind of had it up to here with <laughs> LeBron as of late, but uh, but they're, they're such an impressive team. I mean, it's it, it, when you're going toe to toe. I mean, watching Kawhi and LeBron square off was was something to see. Now I didn't make it unfortunately to the end of the game. I got a little late, a little late for me, <laughs> so I I had to head off to bed. But uh, no, I, I think the Lakers pretty much have this locked up. Um, but the Clippers could take them. But again, no, no non LA teams for for me out of the West. Fair enough. Uh, then on Sunday, there are three more games on TV, starting with the Trailblazers and Celtics at 2.30 on ABC. Kings and Magic at 5 o'clock on NBA TV. I don't know why anybody would really want to watch that one, the Kings and Magic, but if you're an NBA fan, go for it. And then they have Rockets and Bucks play at 7.30 on ABC. That one should be a, a fun one. Uh, question for you, Tim. Do you think that the pause in the season and the kind of the bubble format in Orlando is going to – hurt or help teams like the Bucks and the Lakers who have a pretty commanding lead in their conferences going into the postseason? I think that you could make the case that it could hurt them, but really when you are that dominant of a team like the Lakers showed last night and like the Bucks are showing right now, in fact, they had a huge lead over Boston. Right now, Boston's kind of caught up. It's only about a four-point lead for the Bucks right now. I mean, really the strength and talent and dominance of a team will show through no matter the circumstances, or at least that's how things should be. There is a mental side of it that, that goes in, especially if you've been waiting around, you've been sitting around, you're not no, sure how this was all going to play out. And then finally you get a chance to do this restart and, and you have to get reacclimated to a new environment. And there's no fans and you know, you're in a bubble, but no, I mean, I think that the Lakers and the Bucks were strong enough teams regardless to where, these weird circumstances weren't going to mess with them too much. Now I could see a situation where if it were, you know, the, the second, the, the both the Raptors and the Clippers who are in second place of those conferences are six and a half games out of first place. So if that was a closer gap, you could maybe see a scenario where that, that, that pause kind of even the playing field a little bit, but no, I think that the Lakers and bucks are just too good. I think they'll, 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 keep that grasp it, it, it obviously can't slip i think there's only six or so games anyway before the actual playoff starts so no i i think that they're pretty comfortably in first and it, it should stay that way and that should probably prove throughout the playoffs as well there you go well that's nba and then the nhl also getting started this weekend and they head straight and you mentioned the playoffs for the nba is it's they're a little ways away but uh, the NHL is going straight into the expanded Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'll run through all the games here this weekend in, in a little bit. But first, I, I kind of want to break down the format of what it's going to look like for those who don't know how it's going to work. So instead of the traditional 16 teams in the playoffs, it's just been expanded to 24 teams. So 12 from each conference. They've been seeded based on their points percentage when the season came to a halt on March 12th. And then the five and... Uh, Five through 12 seeds in each conference will start by playing a qualification round. So a five game series that will determine who advances to the traditional round of 16. So the five through 12 seeds playing a five game series to see who advances to the round of 16. And this is where it gets a little weird. The, so that while those five through 12 seeds are playing the qualifying games, the one through four seeds will be playing round robin games to determine the actual one through four seeds when we get to the round of 16. <laughs> so in essence, those top four teams in each conference get a buy into the round of 16, but 
I guess they didn't really want to just sit around and wait for the five to 12 seeds to get done playing. So they asked for this round robin format so they could stay fresh. And I don't know what your thoughts on it, Tim, but I think it could backfire. Like the current one seed, for example, like the Bruins in the Eastern Conference, they could technically finish last in that round robin format and be the four seed instead. So all that work during the regular season going to waste because of playing in the round robin format what with all that laid out what are your kind of thoughts on the format overall yeah someone who is still trying to get the grasp of the icing rule uh, i am very <laughs> woefully underqualified to 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 pontificate on this but i will say i i like the idea of, of getting right into the playoffs and even though i hate expanded playoffs in almost all situations but for this year it makes sense given just the weirdness and the unfortunate situation and and but the round robin thing you know, I, I don't know if I love it, but I think, again, you, you pretty much just have to let stuff like that slide as a if you're if you're an NHL purist and you get all, you know, in a huff over <laughs> this format. I mean, it's like at a certain point, you just have to kind of shrug your shoulder and say, hey, listen, they're doing the best with what they have. And so right now right. the NHL can do whatever they can. So long as again, as we're talking about Major League Baseball earlier, as long as you can play the games and you aren't having just rampant coronavirus infections throughout every roster, that, uh, that's great. Just just yep. stick with what works. If you got to mess with wonky formats, like kind of like the NBA is doing right now <laughs> and the NHL, that's great. I, I'm all for it just for, as long as it's A, for this year, and B, that you can keep everything contained. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that you just roll with the punches a little bit more. I'm obviously a much bigger MLB fan than NHL, and it's kind of the same thing with the – runner at second base and extra innings and the seven inning double headers like i do not like those rules but for this year i guess we'll go with it um so yeah I, and i'm a nhl playoff fan so when we get to the playoffs of the nhl i'm i'm usually going to watch quite a few games it's just better hockey so uh quick run through the schedule um tomorrow you have only qualifying games starting with the rangers and hurricanes at 11 a.m on nbc sports network oilers face the blackhawks at two o'clock on nbc at three o'clock the islanders square off with the florida panthers on nbcsn and it's a seven o'clock start between the penguins and canadians on nbc and the final game of the day tomorrow has the jets and flames at 9 30 on nbc sports network then on sunday you have three more qualifying series starting up a game between the predators and the coyotes is on one o'clock on usa network seven o'clock the peng or the blue jackets take on the maple leaves on nbcsn and then also on nbc sports network it's the wild and canucks at 9 30 and then a couple of those round robin games as well tim that i mentioned the flyers and bruins play at two o'clock on nbc and the blues and avalanche face off at 5 30 on nbcsn so there you have it another league restarting tomorrow and then one last thing before we wrap up the weekend preview, uh, some golf. And that's a sport that's been going going on for a while now, but they have another tournament this weekend in Memphis. It's the FedEx St. Jude Invitational. And round two is complete there. Brendan Todd is the leader after two rounds. And then a few names that you probably are a little bit more aware of. Ricky Fowler is in second. He's two shots back. And Brooks Kepka is tied for third. He's four shots back of the lead. So um, rounds three and four will take place tomorrow and Sunday. TV coverage provided by CBS. So that is a look at the weekend preview. It's the Sports Nightly Preseason Top 25. 
tonight. Jordan Love, 5 for 10 for 90 yards and a touchdown. Quick throw out to the right side. The ball is intercepted, and it's a pick six. What a night for Jalen Walker. He has pass deflections. He timed it up. He got it. He scores. It's about a 13-yard run for Jalen Walker. Number 16, the Boise State Broncos. Joining us now to help break down the Broncos is B.J. Reigns of the Idaho Press and Blue Turf Sport. We've got the Broncos ranked 16th in our preseason top 25 countdown. Um, but first, I wanted to get uh, an update, I guess, from Boise on the, on the COVID front. How have the Broncos kind of navigated dealing with this coronavirus pandemic? Is there any news from, from that front? Yeah, they were one of the schools uh, in the middle of June that had to shut down for about two weeks. They had uh, an outbreak, so to speak. Uh, most of their positive tests were not within the program, though. They were on campus, uh, just a general population, but uh, they were still forced to close down campus, and they were forced to stop workouts because of that. So they had like a two-week break in the middle. But other than that, they've been back at it, and they're in their uh, 20-hour weeks right now and doing everything, and then they'll be starting practice a week from today. So. Um, to this point, they have not had any significant issues with it. They had an assistant coach uh, early on in the process, like in April, that actually tested positive and um, talked about how scary that was for him. But otherwise, uh, to this point, uh, they've avoided any big outbreaks, and they're still pushing forward towards uh, starting practice a week from today. Well, of course, I know the Broncos probably have to be – well, definitely have to be hugely disappointed that their game against Florida State, which would have been on their own home turf, uh, is now longer – not going to happen so you know how how is the Boise State uh faithful and, and the coaching staff how have they taken the news oh it was you know billed as the biggest game maybe in the history of Boise State uh, football certainly the biggest game in the history of the state of Idaho probably I mean it was billed for seven years since it was on the schedule it's just a a monumental game and, and I, I know Florida State's maybe not the top 10 ranked Florida State team they were when the game was signed and agreed to in 2013 but uh to have a team like Florida State be willing to come all the way across the country to Boise, Idaho, said a lot about where Boise State was as a program and the fact that they were going to play, you know, in a 36,000-seat stadium in, in Boise. So um, they're going to try to reschedule the game. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise that uh, the game is going to be played, you know, in a couple of years and they can get fans back in the stands as opposed to having to play the game this year with no fans. Um, so it was a it was a big hit for them. But, you know, they've got Oklahoma State coming to Boise next year in 2021. They've got uh, Central Florida, uh, Michigan State coming the next two years after that. So, I mean, they've got some big-time games on the schedule, Oregon State in 2023. So they've still got some Power 5 teams coming to Boise. Their schedule starts out pretty nice, you know, for the next four or five years is pretty nice. Um, But that would have been a big one for them to have Florida State, especially after last year going down to Tallahassee and beating them, uh, you know, at uh, Doak Campbell Stadium. So that would have been a big deal to have them come back, and uh, they're disappointed. But I think maybe – for their sake, if they can get a full crowd, you know, in the stands in a couple of years and get Florida State to agree to come back, uh, maybe it'll end up being a better deal. Talk with B.J. Reigns of the Idaho Press and Blue Turf Sports. Uh, B.J., Hank Bachmeyer was the starting QB for Boise State last year as a true freshman, and he was looking good, but he did come down with an injury when he came back. He wasn't as effective. Uh, so that said, what do you think that we can expect to see out of him this season? Yeah, two different injuries, actually. Uh, started the season 6-0. and Boise State was ranked like uh, 13th in the country and then uh, suffered an injury uh, trying to scramble for more yards against Hawaii. Uh, hip injury, had to miss the game against BYU, and that was Boise State's only regular season loss was the game he missed. They lost by three points at BYU. Um, and then he uh, came back for a game, started 
against San Jose, got hurt again with a shoulder injury, and then uh, sat out like six weeks until the bowl game, came back rusty and didn't play very well. So he's obviously very talented. I mean, threw for over 400 yards against Florida State in the season opener. Uh, but he's just got to got to change his style a little bit. He's one of those uh, fearless quarterbacks that's uh, not afraid to stay in the pocket and uh, take that hit, not afraid to try to scramble for extra yards, and doesn't like sliding, doesn't like going out of bounds. But, uh, that, you know, finally just uh, took too many hits and had to come out of the game. So um, they've got to you know work on his style a little bit to try to keep him safe, let him know it's okay to go down and slide or go out of bounds if he has to. And uh, But the kid obviously has a lot of talent and had some, some big-time offers coming out of uh, you know college or coming out of high school. And to be a true freshman and do what he did, it was obviously very impressive. And so I think he's got a bright future if he can stay healthy. They've got a couple other quarterbacks they feel confident in, Jack Sears, was a grad transfer from USC that came in with two years of eligibility left, and Chase Cord, who was the backup last year but started a couple games. They feel pretty good in both those guys, and they'll probably have some sort of role packages, things like that. Um, you know, but uh, Hank Bachmeyer has a chance, you know, as a sophomore, to end up being a special player. They just got to try to keep him healthy and keep him on his feet. Sticking with the offense, uh, besides the offensive line, Boise State returning a lot of talent at receiver and running back as well. But they do have a new coordinator this year. So given that, how do you think this offense is, is going to look like this year? Well, I mean, he's the receiver. He was the co-offensive coordinator, and he just slides into the coordinator role. He was Eric Keesaw was the wide receivers coach already, so um, not really a big change. The offense should look very similar. You bring back a thousand-yard rusher. You bring back, you know, two of your top three receivers. Your top tight end. You bring back the quarterback. The big issue for them is offensive line, as you mentioned. They lose four of their five starters on the offensive line. You know, four guys that had all started for three years. So a lot of experience gone. You have to replace. You lose a second-round pick at left tackle in Ezra Cleveland. Your left guard signed a priority free agent deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you lose two guys that are in NFL training camps, two other multi-year starters. So the offensive line is going to be a big hole for them um, you know, to replace. But in terms of the offense – It'll be very similar. It'll still be a motion uh, spread, you know, no huddle type offense. It puts up a lot of points, and they'll sling the ball all over the field. But uh, they've got a thousand yard, you know, running back returning, as I said, and feel pretty good about the receivers. So I think that uh, from a playmaking standpoint, they're going to have uh, plenty of playmakers to spread the ball around. Talk with B.J. Reigns of the Idaho Press and Blue Turf Sports. Taking a quick look at the defense, they're no longer going to have the services of their all-time sacks leader, Curtis Weaver. Um, with that said, how does the coaching staff feel about the depth, not just on the defensive line, but as the de- defense as a whole and their secondary and linebacker? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to the offense. Their big uh, spot they have to replace is defensive line. They lose all four starters along the defensive line. You mentioned Curtis Weaver, not just the school sacks record uh, there, but the uh, Mountain West uh, conference sacks record. So 34 sacks in three years is going to be pretty tough to replace, and they lose three other starters along the defensive line as well. So nine of their ten starters along the offensive and defensive lines are gone. But um, Boise State, you know, prides themselves on recruiting and prides themselves on developing guys. And so they feel like they have a lot of guys that have just kind of been waiting for their chance to to step in there and on the defensive line. So, you know, you look at the the stats, you know, those guys that didn't do much last year and barely played, but they feel pretty good about those guys stepping in. They've got, you know, four or five linebackers that are all back after playing last year. They added a grad transfer from that started 11 games at North Carolina State last year. So you had a power five, you know, grad transfer at linebacker. And and then in the secondary, they've got, you know, four plus guys with 20 career games played. So they feel pretty good about the back seven. I think they just have to shore up that defensive line. They feel like uh, 
Dimitri Washington as a guy that was a redshirt freshman last year at the stud position, kind of replacing Curtis Weaver. They uh, quietly are saying he's a guy that in a year or two could be, you know, up there with, uh, you know, Curtis Weaver in terms of being an NFL prospect. So um, they feel like, you know, maybe the names aren't household names, uh, even to Boise State fans, but they feel confident in some of these guys. They're ready to take advantage of their opportunity and, and step into that role. Well, BJ, before we let you go, I uh, just wanted to quickly ask you, uh, we, we feel pretty confident in the Broncos this season. That's why we've got them ranked 16th in our preseason top 25. But do you think that Boise State has what it takes to win the Mountain West this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 16 and, you know, hearing that is, is a little, little, maybe a little higher than I would have had them, but I certainly think they're top 25 worthy and, um, you know, just kind of depends how it shakes out with the uh, non-conference schedule. But uh, Air Force was a team that a lot of people kind of liked as a sleeper pick in the Mountain West. Their quarterback is is out right now and not going to be back, and that's supposed to be an early season game. So um, while at Boise State's at Air Force. They're also at Wyoming. The two toughest conference games are on the road. So, um, you know, those are going to be tough games. But when you've, uh, you know, been in the championship game three years in a row, four of the last six, You've won three uh, championships in the last six years. I mean, it's it's a fairly safe bet to probably have them as the, the, the top Mountain West team. Uh, I don't think you're going to be wrong there. So uh, I think that they've obviously got a lot of talent, a lot of pieces, and they just have to kind of shore up those lines. And if they do that, I think they're certainly going to be in the in the mix to win the Mountain West and probably in the mix to be that top group of five team and have a chance to get back to, a, you know, as long as they have it at the end of the season, a New Year's Six bowl game. Well, BJ, thanks so much for uh, for for giving us the time here, and 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 stay safe. No problem. Probably uh, talk to you guys about this time next year again. Absolutely. Thanks. No problem. Take care. It's time as it is every week when we get to the end of the show or near the end of the show on a Friday night for our winners and losers. Well, boys, I'll, I'll let you go first. Josh, uh, why don't you give us our winners and losers? All right, I'm going to start with winners, and I'm actually going to the Nebraska men's basketball program. The uh, social media accounts uh, put out earlier today that Thor and Ivan are back in town. They've been, you know, the, the whole team has been together except for those guys and um, having to come back from their different countries, Iceland and France. And so seeing those guys back, it's it's awesome to to see them. There's a picture of them practicing with the team. So. Good to see that. And then my loser, I think uh, I'm, this is a little bit of a cop-out, an easy path, but I'm going with the Miami Marlins. And um, they've kind of, you know, all we wanted was baseball. I just want to watch baseball. And they're trying to ruin it for everybody. You know, 21, or what is it now? I think 20-something players having tested positive now. So, uh, And then the story coming about what they were doing in Atlanta. So my loser, the Miami Marlins. Josh blaming coronavirus victims. How dare you, Josh? How, how dare you? Throwing them right under the bus. <laughs> Austin, I just want baseball. Got... <laughs> well, we'll make it two people throwing the Marlins under the bus. I'm Team Josh on this one. Sorry, guys. Just be more responsible. They're not my loser, though. My loser is uh, the group that owns Sports Illustrated. So it's called, let's see if I can find here, Authentic Brands Group. So what they did was basically they tore down the journalism side of Sports Illustrated. And then if that wasn't enough, they recently started selling Sports Illustrated branded workout products, pre-workout, protein, post-workout, all that stuff. Just kind of disappointing to see, you know, a, a great magazine, a great site like that, all the great journalism it did, reduced to literally becoming your friendly neighborhood GNC on the corner. 
just it's a rag. Yeah, it's not. Sucks a good to say, one. but it's it's a rag now. Let's be let's get real. Yep. Yeah, it's sad. And then my my winner of the week, who doesn't love a good redemption story, Rudy Gobert. So he was the first NBA player to test positive for COVID nineteen, but the first game back in the bubble, the first regular season game. He scored the first points, and then he iced it with a couple free throws. So Rudy Gobert has his redemption. He's my winner of the week. <laughs> a feel-good story for the ages. Well, my loser of the week is the Big Ten Conference just released the freaking schedule. I want it in my hands. Please, please release it. Please. <laughs> and my winner of the week is the NBA for actually being able to put on a functioning sports league that I could watch without fear of it being canceled every five minutes. I mean, that is a nice thing. They got the bubble going. It works. I'm not a huge fan of the, the slogans on the back of the journey. Like I was looking at Gordon Hayward earlier. I'm like, is that Gordon Hayward or is that education reform? I can't really tell. But, uh, oh, well, uh, I'm just glad that they're playing and it's been great. Uh, my thanks, of course, to Josh Hookman and Austin Norman for helping me drive the ship here. It's been fun, gentlemen. Thanks for helping me close out the week. My thanks, of course, also to Michael Brunts of Husker 24-7, James Cratch of NJ.com, and BJ Rains of the Idaho Press and Blue Turf Sports for joining us tonight. There'll be more Sports Nightly next hour. 